Please turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. We are in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Lord's Prayer in particular. In Matthew chapter 6, really at the middle of this prayer. I sent Liliana and Scott two pictures of you guys praying last hour, and Liliana just texted back. She said, thank you for sending this. Really appreciate the prayers. What a blessing to have a church family. I'm going to read our passage, and then we will pray. Matthew chapter 6, and I'll read verses 9 to 13. In fact, let, let me start in verse 7, and I'll read through 13. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. This is the word of the Lord. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our whole text for today is just verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Let's pray together briefly. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be able to, at any moment, in any place, to be able to pray, even in our own mind, to pray and to know that the God who made us the God, the one God who made all things, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, talked about in Scripture, listens to our prayer, and He knows what we need before we ask. And You are our Heavenly Father. God, thank You for these incredible truths that we can rest our life on, and I pray that this would be beneficial as we think about this part of the Lord's prayer, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as a reminder, there's absolutely nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer daily or something like that. There are people who do that. But perhaps even more to what Jesus is getting at is this is the kind of skeletal structure we should be using for our prayers, generally speaking. So we we, we kind of take these basic points and we build off of them and we allow His basic pattern of how to pray to shape our emphases, the kinds of things we focus on, and even the order of importance to some degree of some of these things as we walk through the Lord's Prayer. The Puritan Thomas Watson wrote a whole book on the Lord's Prayer, and he says, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially he says, We pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done before we pray, give us this day our daily bread. The order is of absolute importance. So the sermon today, and I'm borrowing this structure really from Kevin DeYoung, but it's really just the words of the verse are the points of the sermon. So I got the idea from Kevin DeYoung, but I'm just using the words of the verse to structure the sermon today. So I'm going to start with the very first point, which is just simply the word bread. The word bread is the first point. And Thomas Watson teaches us the lesson that really Jesus is teaching us. What are your priorities in prayer? If you were to look back over your prayers of the last six months or year or five or ten years, if you could just in your mind mentally average out, what do I pray about the most? What do I pray about the most frequently? What do I pray about the most fervently? Where is my passion in my prayer life? 
And Kevin DeYoung kind of jokingly said, he said, well, in my earlier days, he was, I think, talking about his college years. He said, when I look back, he said, I prayed a lot for one thing was a relative who had some struggles that he thought was important to pray about, which was good. But he said, I prayed a lot about stuff going on with girls. <laughs> he said, I prayed a lot about sports and some stuff I was doing with, with, I think he was a cross-country runner or something like that. And he had a few other things that he prayed about all the time. And he said, when I, when I look back at my priorities, it was not wrong to pray about those things. The Lord wants us to take the smallest needs before His throne. He cares about any and everything that matters to you. So don't ever hear me saying, don't bring the smallest issues to your Father. It honors Him to bring the smallest things to Him. But there can be times in our life where our priorities get out of whack. And we end up making, we just heard acts, right? Adoration, confession, supplication, thanksgiving. I did that wrong. Thanksgiving, supplication. Uh, we, we can so often make the supplications for my daily bread, they can become dominant in my prayer life. And yet the hallowing of God's name, God's glory, His kingdom, obedience to His will can take a second class seat in my prayer. So even test yourself today. Where are our priorities in our prayer life? The Lord has us pray for these three things about God's glory, and then He gets to our physical needs because He wants us to pray like that. In other words, very often, what feels like an urgent physical need in your daily life, and it may be a very legitimate thing, very often that thing gets put in its proper place after you deal with the three parts of this prayer. When you start thinking about God's name, His kingdom, and His will, suddenly it begins to help rightly prioritize our own sense of our needs. But that being said, the Lord does care greatly about our needs. Thomas Watson goes on, the Puritan says, when we pray for things pertaining to this life, we must desire temporal things for spiritual ends. It's not wrong to desire temporal things, but the goal, the desire, the motive should be for spiritual purposes, for spiritual ends. If we pray for health, it must be that we may improve this gift of health for God's glory and may be fit, more fit for His service. Hannah in 1 Samuel prayed for a child, but it was for this end that her child might be devoted to God. So it is not wrong to pray for our physical needs, but they must ultimately be pointed towards spiritual realities. Or let's be honest, if I pray for spiritual, if I pray for physical things ultimately, and I make them the be-all, end-all of my prayers. What I've actually done is I've asked God to give me an idol. If my physical needs are number one on my priority list, I'm saying, God, you matter to me, but what really matters is this. Please, I have to have this. Then that thing has actually become my functional God, and I'm using God to get that thing. So let's beware that our motives are, if I'm asking for something physical or a need that I have, that it be to strengthen me for God's service and ultimately be for God's glory. Kevin DeYoung said this, this sermon, this prayer is meant to teach us that we are more fragile than we normally feel, and God is more generous than we often imagine. Isn't that true? We are more fragile than we so often feel, and yet God is far more generous than we often imagine. It just takes an illness, right? It just takes something to happen in our life, and suddenly we feel the weakness that was always true of us, but we did not have as great a sense of as when that occurred. So this bread must ultimately be about God's glory. Point number two, the simple word give, the first word of our verse, give us this day our daily bread. So point number two is give. Now this is important. This give is not a demanding, presumptuous give. God, you better 
give me my daily bread. That attitude has no place, and we know this, in the Christian life. It is not a presumptuous, demanding give to God. No, 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 no. It is not. In fact, tomorrow is, you think Halloween, I think Reformation Day. <laughs> tomorrow is the 505th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And um, why do we get so excited at this church about Reformation theology? It's a big emphasis for us, the five solas of the Reformation. Well, it has to do with how we understand passages like this word give. This is not a give that we have earned from God. We don't come before God and say, God, I have lived such a good life. Look how many quiet times I've had. Look how much money I have given to the poor. Look what I have done. You owe me fill in the blank. That's not what we're talking about. What is the Reformation? Well, the five solas of the Reformation, to put it in English, not in Latin or something else, is we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. These are the solas, alones, through Christ alone, learned about from the Bible as the alone, the only final authority from God and to God's glory alone. We don't earn any of the gifts that God gives us physical or spiritual, and God does not owe us any of those gifts left to ourselves. We on our own are poverty-stricken spiritually. Remember, blessed are the poor in spirit, how this sermon begins from Jesus, because we've got nothing to barter with God. Who has ever given a gift to God that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him belongs the glory, now and forever. Amen. That's how Romans 11 ends, because Paul says we cannot bargain or barter with God. So, we believe that we are saved by sheer mercy and grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus, learned about from God's infallible Word, and all ultimately to His glory. But, as I've said before, that gives us an incredible access to God. Not a presuming or presumptuous access, but an access that is in Jesus' name. I know it feels like a throwaway when we pray sometimes, in Jesus' name, amen, or through Christ, amen. But Jesus teaches, especially in John's gospel, to pray in my name when you come before the Father. Pray in my name. An illustration of this comes from a pastor many years ago. I heard him say, uh, I think it's a made-up story, I'm not sure, but either way it makes the point. There are two individuals who went to high school together. And after high school, they went in very divergent ways. One became essentially a homeless man practically living on the streets, and the other man became a well-to-do lawyer and was actually doing quite well in his field. And after a period of time went by of decades, they ran into each other somewhere, and they recognized each other. And the lawyer looks at this man living on the street and says, hey, I, I know you. Are you so-and-so? And he says, I know you. And they, 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 they rekindle this little friendship that they had from 30 years previously. And then the, the lawyer says, I, I want to find a way to be able to help you. I, I, I want to be able to help you in some way. So the lawyer writes out a check, and he puts a certain amount of money on the check, and he gives it to this poor man. And the poor man is humbled. He's moved by this act of generosity from his old friend. He looks at the check, and he says, I can't deposit this check. I cannot cash this check. If I go into the bank looking like I look, they're never going to let me withdraw money. And he says, it's not how you're dressed that is making this significant, it's whose name is signed on the check. My name, the lawyer says, is written on the check. They will give you the exact sum on this check. And that's exactly what happened. The man went into the bank, he gave the check, and he received the sum. When we say we pray in Jesus' name, it's not because I'm so good, God's going to answer my prayer. I am a beggar, starving on my own, lost in sin apart from Christ. I've been rescued, and now when I pray, on every single time God answers a prayer, it's in the name of Jesus. Jesus' name is written on that. It, it is right there. That's the only authority by which we can come before the Lord. 
You know, who can wake the king up at two in the morning for a glass of milk? Not many people without getting in serious trouble. Can wait, hey king, can you give me a glass of milk? Get out of here. No, but who can? The son or the daughter of the king can wake the king up at two in the morning to ask for a glass of milk. In the name of Jesus, we are adopted into God's family, and we have unimaginable access, and we can say humbly but truly, God, by Your grace and for Your glory, give me this day my daily needs. Please provide me physically with what I need to be strong so that I can honor You with my body right now in this life and in this world. If you look back at verse 8. Well, let me read 7 and 8 again. Matthew 6, verse 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The many words of your prayer do not earn the answer. It's the fact that He's your Father. And listen, the Father knows what you need before you ask you know, becoming a father for me, it's a cliche, but it's true. It's probably why it's a cliche. You don't realize how much you can care for another person and love another person until you have your children. You just have this unimaginable love for them. And it's just like you would do anything if it would be for their true well-being. God is your father. He knows what you need before you ask. How should that flavor the way that we pray? We're not trying to score points by lumping up prayer requests, like all these fancy words like the heathen do that don't even know God. No, you come before God humbly as a child, and you, you, you come into His presence, and you say, Lord, here is something that I have a need of. Please help me. I remember, I think Scott mentioned this one time, Spurgeon, he had gout and other issues, very painful physical issues late in, later in his life, and he struggled with, with, with serious physical pain late in his life, well, at several points in his life, throughout his life. And there was one particular story where he had unbelievable pain in his, in his legs and his knees and whatnot. Just he was in agonizing pain. He said it had gotten worse, I think, than at any point it had been previously. And this right here is not a promise that this will always happen, but this is what happened in this moment. He said he called out to God like a little child in pain would call out to his dad and said, Father, I, I can't take much more of this. Please ease the pain some. And that night the pain was eased to some degree, and he said it never inflamed to the same degree again. And that's not a promise that that's going to always happen in this life. But the point was, he was treating God as his father who knows what he needs before he asks. And he spoke to him respectfully, but humbly as a child speaks to his dad. Philippians 4, you don't have to turn there, says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen, it's a promise. If you have a true need, the Lord will meet that need. The Lord will give you what you need. Point number three, the word us. Give us this day our daily bread. Point number three is the word us. Now, there are two simple ways to pray this incorrectly. I'm trying to give you negatives and positives here to see what not to do, what to do. I, I hope this is going to be helpful. I hope I'm being uh, biblically accurate as I, as I describe these things. You can test it. But point, point number three, us. Two ways that this could possibly be done wrongly. One would be uh, that we pray just for our own daily bread, for my daily bread. Remember Scott talked about the word us and our in this prayer, which I had not thought much about. But he doesn't just say, give me my daily bread 
This should be a prayer that we are praying for brothers and sisters in Christ and even for those who do not yet know Him that they would most importantly come to know Christ but also have their basic needs met. This is a This is a corporate prayer. It's not a self-centered prayer only. It is a corporate prayer. So don't just pray for your own personal needs. We should pray for the needs of our our needs, particularly as a body of Christ and for our families. So pray us, not just my. And then number two, we ask for daily bread unless we ask for that bread in a way that will not hallow God's name, bring about a love for God's kingdom, or help us obey his will. So it must have godly motives. Number, point number four, this day and daily, right? Give us this day our daily bread. One pastor made this great point. He said, listen, it does not say give us this year our yearly bread. It doesn't say give us this week our weekly bread. It doesn't say give us this lifetime, a lifetime supply of bread. They just drop it off at the door. God just drops off a lifetime supply of food, and He leaves. It's like deism. God gives you some stuff, and He just leaves. He's just gone, and you just kind of take care of yourself. That is not the teaching of the Bible. The Bible has far better teaching than a lifetime supply. The Bible has a daily supply, and this is far better because it keeps us dependent every day, and it keeps God present and providing every day. God is not the God of deism, of some of the founding fathers, like, you know, Benjamin Franklin, and I think Thomas Jefferson held to a similar view that God's out there somewhere, but He's not intimately involved in our lives. No, this prayer will not allow it. Give us this day our daily bread. God every day should be spoken to. These prayers should be daily prayers, dependence on God daily. Uh, You know that song, I need thee every hour, most gracious God, every hour I need thee. And so that is biblical. Every day the Lord has grace for us that He wants to supply to us. Uh, one pastor said, you ever, uh, maybe don't raise your hand, but have you ever left, like, I don't know, maybe it was like a hamster, a guinea pig, maybe it was, uh, hopefully not a cat or a dog, but maybe you left for like three days and you just put like three days worth of food in the, in the tray. You're like, you'll be okay. We'll be back in a few days, animal, and you'll be, and the, you know, the animal gorges itself for about three hours and it just lays there and then it's getting really hungry after about day one and a half. Like, where are you guys? What are you doing? That's not how God provides grace. He doesn't give you a lump sum and says, okay, take care of it. Just make sure you ration it out and divvy it up properly. I'll be back in a year to check and see how you're doing. That's not what God does. God is there for the daily distribution of our physical needs. And you, you can't hear this without thinking of that, this t- passage. Turn with me to Exodus 16. You know where I'm going. It's the manna. Turn to Exodus chapter 16. I really do think the phrase daily bread, Jesus is, is, is making an allusion to the manna, which was what? Daily bread, literally. So look at Exodus 16. We could read a whole lot of this, but just for sake of time, I'll read verses 14 to 21 and just see if you can hear the general principle that the wilderness wanderers in Israel learned in the wilderness near Sinai. Exodus chapter 16, verse 14. And when, they ha- and when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is this? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. Verse 17, and the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, not too much, and whoever gathered little had no lack, not too little. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat, and Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until the morning, but they did not listen to Moses. 
Some left part of it till the morning, and, in bread wor- and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Look at verse 21. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Do you hear the principle that Jesus, I think, is echoing in our prayer in Matthew 6? So you can turn back to Matthew 6. Every morning there's fresh manna, fresh bread there in the desert, but only take enough for the day. If you try to stockpile it, it's going to go bad, except on the night before the Sabbath. They had two days supply because they weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath, and miraculously it stayed intact for that extra day once a week. So back to Matthew 6, look with me at the very last verse of the chapter. Down at verse, let's start in verse 32, and then we'll read to the end of Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 32, talking about all the things of this world what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father, here it is again, knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I've heard, I've heard someone say, so sufficient for the day is the evil therein, the trouble thereof, right? Let's put another verse in the Old Testament right next to it. Lamentations 3, His mercies are new every morning. So do you hear this principle? God is going to give you physically, and I, I would also include spiritually, the grace you need for the day's troubles. God is not going to let you be tempted beyond your ability, but He will provide a way of escape so that you might be able to endure and stand up under it. Whatever you are facing, no matter how hard or how joyful the circumstances may be, God has a grace today for you. It is perfectly tailored for your needs, and God is going to give you the grace that you need, the sufficient grace to help you get through whatever you need to get through today. But here's the important thing. God is not going to give you on Sunday, Monday's grace. Do you hear that? God's not, not going to give you on Tuesday, Sunday's grace. He's not going to give you next Thursday's grace today. So very often we can look into the future and all the uncertainties and all the unknown things about the future, and we can worry. Let me read you uh, something from Kevin DeYoung on this point. See if you can relate to the worry of our daily life. Let's be honest. All of us have occasions, sometimes moment by moment, where we are prone to worry. You wake up 10 minutes later than you had hoped, and anxiety already starts to creep in. Some of you, this is a prediction of tomorrow morning. Uh, What if I'm late? What about traffic? What's the weather like? You pass by the mirror and worry that your face has more wrinkles than it used to. You rush downstairs, and because you're in a hurry, you let the kids eat whatever they want. So you start to worry if sugar really does cause cancer. Maybe Lucky Charms is a, uh, he says, maybe Lucky Charms is not a balanced diet. They are magically delicious, but are they magically nutritious? (laughs) As you get the kids ready, you realize that one of your boys didn't do his homework. Again, you worry about whether he's ever going to get his head screwed on straight or uh, if he'll get through into, into college. As you drop the kids off, you worry that they may fall in with the wrong crowd or fall off the monkey bars. Once you get home, you pull up a social media just to unwind, then you realize there you read about how awesome everyone else's kids are and how, how amazing uh, these other person's uh, things are that they've made, and you worry about that you're a failure as a mom or dad. Later in the morning, you want to go to, on a walk, but you feel the pain in your knee again. You worry about having to get knee replacement surgery and whether your insurance will cover that and how you'll pay for it and who will take care of the kids when you're laid up for a month. Then you worry that maybe the pain is something worse, so you check all the medical websites, and you realize that you probably have a rare case of whooping cough and African sleep sickness. You ever done that, by the way? You Google what your symptoms, you're like, 
Don't, don't do that. That's not, that's not a good idea. Hours later, when the kids are in bed, you turn on the television to forget about the day, and as you flip through the channels and get caught up on the news, you start to worry about the economy and cancel culture and declining morals. Then you see another shooting or another protest and worry about the divisions in this country and about how you'll talk to your friends who see things differently. So you turn off the television, you talk with your husband, and worry about his cough that doesn't seem to be getting better as he tells you about the layoffs that are going on at work. Finally, you lay down for the night, you feel a tremendous sense of anxiety, you don't even know why, for reasons you cannot understand, you start worrying about life and kids and your parents and your church and your health and flying and driving and sleeping and eating and a general fear that the days ahead could be really bad and you can hardly sleep. That's normal for many of us. Now, you stop there and it's just depressing. That's just a lot of us struggle with those kinds of things. Well, what does Jesus have to tell us here about these things? Here's what I think He would say. Remember Corey Ten Boom, the hiding place? There's this famous moment, we've talked about it here, I think, in the past, where she, she as a young girl, is, she just knows the fact that her, she realizes her parents will one day pass away. Just that fact becomes clear to her as a young girl, and she's terrified. She, she's crying. And there's this little moment between her and her dad. You remember this? She said, I burst into tears and said to my dad, I need you, I sobbed. You can't die. You can't. Corey, he began gently. When you and I go to Amsterdam, when, I, when do I give you your ticket? Why, just before we get on the train? Exactly. And our wise Father in heaven knows when we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of Him, Corey. When the time comes that some of, us, some of us will have to die, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. You'll get the ticket when you get on the train. God has grace for all of our anxieties and the grace will be available on the day that we need those things. If we think in such a way that we forget about God and His sovereignty and goodness, and we just dread all the problems we see everywhere, and all the, what's worse, the potential problems that may never even happen, we imagine that could happen, if we just soak in all the potential issues and problems that could happen in our future, and we don't focus on God's Sufficient to the day is the trouble they're in. My mercies are new every morning. I'm going to give you your day-by-day bread. If we leave the promises of God and we get lost in thought of anxiety, we are going to end up in a very bad state. But if we can step back and not, not be naive about the future, but at the same time not be overwhelmed by the future, but instead be stabilized by God's promise. Listen, Christian, God is your Father. He knows all your needs before you ask, and He has daily grace for daily bread for all your needs until the end. That is what is true of you right now, and you can count on God. He says we're being renewed day by day. Our outer man is wasting away, but we are being renewed day by day. And this light and momentary affliction is achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, because we are looking not at the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Point number five, and this is our last point, our bread. Now, you said we already talked about bread, but I want to make one point here about our bread, the phrase our bread. Might not seem like there's a lot there in the phrase our bread, but it was brought to my attention two things that we could think about as we move toward a conclusion. Number one, our bread means, normally speaking, we work for it. In other words, we earn a living to make money so that we can provide for our needs. And it's interesting, as we work to earn money to provide for our needs, God is supplying our needs through that means. To give you a verse, you don't have to turn there, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. 
For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Then two verses later, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. The, the Greek literally is to eat their own bread, literally. So to, just, just, you, you earn your own living so that you can eat your own bread. So normally God provides our bread through human means, oftentimes our own, working to, to earn. Number two, so number one, we, we work for this bread, normally speaking. Number two, we're not to steal this bread. Now, you say, that's obvious, but listen to these verses. 2 Thessalonians 3, earlier in the chapter, "'For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor do we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you.'" I think this verse is even clearer. Proverbs 30. Can you turn to this? Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. It had been too long since I'd read this passage, honestly. This is a great text. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Think daily bread. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. There's a warning about desiring too much. There's also a warning about having too little. But God, give me what I need and let me be content with what I have. And I just tag on one other thing. This, this isn't from Matthew 6, it's just from Scripture more generally. Ephesians 4.28 says this, let the thief no longer steal, but let him rather labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So not only does God give us daily bread, we can use our bread in order to help others who are in need. We can share with what God has given us. Uh, now, I'll close with this story from Alistair Begg. This is from 20 years ago, I believe, 22 years ago. Alistair Begg went to dinner at a fancy restaurant downtown where he lives with, I think he has a daughter and a son who were with him, who were college age-ish. And they went to this really, he said, he said my, my kids took me to this really fancy restaurant. They didn't pay, but they took me to a really fancy restaurant. He said, I was footing the bill. So he said, we, we sat down this really fancy restaurant, and he said, my daughter got it to go. Uh, her, her order, she couldn't finish it, so she took it to go, a, a large portion of food, and they wrapped it up very nicely, and she said, this will be great. My roommate uh, and I can eat it later tonight or tomorrow, and it'll be great. So th then they're walking down the street of downtown, wherever they were, and they're heading to their car, and they were passing by a number of people who were uh, in, in dire poverty, a lot of homeless people, and one in particular was a man in a wheelchair. He did not have legs, I think, from his knee down. And he had been there when they went to the restaurant, and he was there when they walked back. And he said they were talking together, and he said, I turned, and my daughter was just suddenly gone. I'm talking to my son. My daughter's not there. I turn around, she's back talking to that man in the wheelchair. And she catches back up to us, and she no longer has her extra food. And she said, Dad, he was one of the real ones. She said, don't always trust everyone who's asking me for money on the street. She said, but I, this man truly was hungry, and he wanted the food, and I gave him the food. And, and Alistair Beck said he, he had this just moment of just joy that his daughter was willing to do that. And he said, what about your roommate? And he said, my roommate has food. That man did not, and she, they kept walking. And then Alistair Beck said, I promise you, I'm not saying this to, to, to puff my own ego up or anything. This is not, it just I want to make a point. He said, later that night, I think they were going to the airport, 
He's going to say goodbye to his kids, and they're going, they going to part ways. And he said, when I got to the airport, he said, I, I got out of my wallet. He said, I think I had $140 or so of cash. And he said, I kept $20 for myself. And he said, I took $60 and gave each to my two kids. I gave 60 to one, 60 to the other, and they got, and they, they left. They went back, and they, they were gone. And he said, then I was driving home that night from the airport, and he said, I was thinking, you know, huh. He said, I hadn't intended this as an illustration, but now I'm thinking about it. He goes, okay, my daughter had this meal. And she was taking it home to eat, and out of generosity, she gave it to someone in need. And she's thinking, I'm losing something, right? But she, she, she's glad to do it. And then she keeps walking, and before the night's over, she's got $60 that she was not expecting in her hand, and she heads home with the $60. And he said, listen, this is not a perfect illustration, but it does illustrate something. Tell me if you think it matches this passage. This is from 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Listen to this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Even as we give to others from the little that we have, will God still see that our needs are met? Yes, even as we open our hands to give to others, God will continue to meet our needs with all grace in all sufficiency in all things at all times that we might abound in all good works. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you care about our bodies. You care about our hunger. You care about illness. You care about the smallest things in our life. You care about our daily bread. You are that intimately involved in our life that you really do care. It's included in your word to pray for our daily needs. God, help us not to be self-centered in the way we pray, that our goal would be to love and serve others and also most ultimately to glorify and hallow your name to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing that all these other things will be added to us as well. God, help us not to be overcome by worry and anxiety. Help us to trust you, that you know what we need before we ask, and that you have designed the world so that sufficient to each day is the trouble therein, and that your mercies will be new for each of us every morning. And God, I pray for anyone in this room or listening to my voice that is not a believer in the Lord Jesus that you would show them the desperate need that they are in, that the way that you have most importantly provided for our needs is through Christ, who died in our place, suffering for our sins, and rose from the dead so that we could receive a right standing before you. If anyone does not know you savingly, I pray that they would turn and trust you even now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.